he went to a modern orthodox yeshiva until he graduated high school. So I said, how do you do, how do you do this with the fires and this? It's, besides the fact that it's dangerous. And it encourages people to do it all over the country. I said, how can you do it? I mean, didn't they ever teach you in school that uh, he was a real, he was real. They really didn't know what was going on. So Malin, but he does know what's going on. He was a regular kid. He wasn't like some weirdo who, who became a Rebbe. He was, he was a, he was a regular kid. His sister is modern orthodox. I met his brother in Los Angeles, the Bada Rebbe, and he was wearing plain shoe, right? An A-pocket night guy. And he was with his brother in Los Angeles who was wearing plaid Bermuda shorts in Minion and shot Sunday morning. So you could see that the very modern family, you know, they're not like withdrawn, you know, uh, hidden away, underground, you know, nothing like that. So in any event, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan, but I guess the people who are not here are all at lighting a Madura. I'm probably less of a fan than you are. No, I, you're also not, you're a health uh, bug. No, I'm not I into health. Like smell, basically. I think oh, the smell is very bad. Well, they burn tires in Israel. That's dangerous. That's the thing in Israel. That little kids, little kids, somehow they collect. There's always some collecting place for old tires. And the kids know where they are. And they get those tires into their medura. It's really a terrible, it's really a terrible thing. Uh, um, okay, we're starting? starting. Should I start? Look at that, I'm late. Uh, in memory of our friend and student Yosef Herzog, the occasion of his 15th Yorkshire, as I've mentioned in the past, Yosef Hirsch was a student in Yeshivat Miftar, and I would also, he lived in the city, uh, but he came to the Yeshiva in Ephrat. And Thursday night, after my Parashat HaShavuah year. I used to drive him, drive him home, so we had a lot of time to talk to each other. And Yosef Hirsch, I always found it remarkable that he was, he was backwards. You know, most people, most people go and make a lot of money, and then, or many people, go make a lot of money, and then they don't know what to do with themselves, so they give charity. He, at a very young age, decided to dedicate his life to giving charity. And he worked for the, for the joint in Europe, uh, reconstructing communities. And working, reconstructing the communities in Western Europe or Central Europe, he realized that he was not uh, enough, he had not learned enough to be able to explain himself well enough. That's why he came, why he came to the yeshiva. Uh, tragically, he died in Yerushalayim. And, uh, and, but I remember him, I remember very vividly. So our friend and student, Yosef Herzl, on the occasion of his 15th, uh, 15th Yorzeit. And it's, um, it's uh, reasonable that uh, the main topic, the topic that I wanted to look at today is the topic of tzedakah, which exists primarily in the parasha of Bahar, and also in the parasha of Shoftim in, uh, in Dvarim. 
Uh, in the Pasha of, of Bahar is divided into two parts. The first part is about Shemitah. You know that Shemitah is uh, some ag- an agricultural prohibition. Every seventh year, you have to stop working, you can't work the land. In fact, this is not exactly true because, because uh, Shemitah bothers you for three years until you can get back to, uh, uh, to farming in a proper manner. Uh, Shemitah, of course, is explained in, in a variety of ways. It, it has social implications, it has economic implications. This was, you know, once very, uh, very popular. It was very popular to see the Torah as setting up some sort of uh, uh, social order or uh, interpersonal communal order. I, I, I don't deny that those things have merit. However, it is important to remember that the Torah itself presents Shemitah as a matter of faith. That in order to kind of give up the land or give up its produce for three years, you have to have faith that it will rain and that the, the, the next level or the, the previous year of, uh, of produce would be so great that it would cover the needs for six subsequent years. Otherwise, otherwise, I mean, who could have the fortitude to, to act in this way? You had, to have, you had to have faith. And that's what the Torah says. The Torah says, explaining Shemitah, even though you, it doesn't preclude other interpretations, but the Torah itself says about Shemitah that it is the mitzvah of faith. It doesn't say that about any other mitzvah. Like shaking a lulav is not a mitzvah of faith, and eating a matzah is not a mitzvah of faith. The Torah doesn't classify it in that way. Right? And then, having discussed Shemitah in the beginning of the parashah of Bahar, which, as I say, is, can be understood as a, as a socially important, economically important, uh, a, a, a new order, a new order uh, for the community at large, responsibility for one person, for another person, all of these wonderful things that, that, we, can, uh, that we can be proud of today. After that, there, there is a series of sukim that begin with the word, if you look at the... Uh, you look at the pasuk here on the, uh, on the sheet, the first pasuk, ki yamuch achicha, yamuch, uh, that, that if your brother, your brethren, if they, if they become uh, uh, low, if they are... Downtrodden? Well, not even downtrodden, but impoverished. I- impoverished, they, they, they're not able to function. Umachar meachuzatom. And he, he sells the only property that he has in order to live. This reminds us maybe of uh, Megillat Rut, although I'm not sure that you, have, you remember Megillat. It's almost a year since the last time we looked at Megillat Rut. And the, the Gemara says that forgetting is a year. Right? You know, it's, if you don't think about something for a year, you forget it. So maybe you forgot it. But maybe not. 
So this is like an interesting pasuk because it creates the relationship, uh, a relationship between members of the family and people in the family who are, who are in a difficult in a difficult situation. What do those words mean? Bagoalo, hakaro velav. It was the person who is responsible, the relative, who is the redeemer, the redeemer of the land. Vigaal et bimkar achiv. And he redeems it. What do you mean he redeems it? He buys it from the person to whom it was sold. Like Ruvain had the land, he sold it to Shimon and because he needed the money. But then Levi suddenly is obliged to get it back to him. So you see that the Torah thought, apparently, I mean, you could make a case. I don't like to be, you know, to, to be too uh, homiletical. But the Torah seems to say that in Eretz Yisrael, everybody has to have a piece of land. Everybody should belong to the land and the land should belong to the people. Right? That's, that's very important. So here, if somebody got to the point where he had to sell his land, that creates a subsequent obligation on his relative. Right? Ruvain sold his land to Shimon. Levi is Ruvain's, is Ruvain's relative. He has to buy the land back and give it, to, and give it back to Ruvain. Ova go aloha karovelav, go alo the redeemer. Akarove love, a close relative. He has to redeem that which his brother Ruven sold. Sold another Pasuk. That's Pasuk Kafe. Pasuk Lamed Hey. Vikiya Mucha Kihu Bataya Do Imach Bekazakta Bo Gevitoshabimach. So again another Pasuk that says you have an obligation to support, to defend, to give strength. To the person who is yamuch, who loses his ability to live in the in the land, okay? Rashi pasuk kafei. You see the Rashi? Ki yamucha chichu machar melamed. From this we learn. Rashi says she'ed adam rashi limkor sadehu ela machmad dochak oni. And as you can't do business. You can't do what we would call today, right? You want to do business with Karka, Karka, oh, you go to Romania. But you can't do it in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, if a Jew owns a piece of property, he has an obligation to keep it. He has an obligation, it should be his. There's some sort of a way of identifying, right? Even though it says about uh, the Jews in Eretz Goshen, the Jews who got to Eretz Goshen, Yaakov Avinu, Yosef, Mitzrayim, Goshen, Remember, it says it uses the word afuza also. Uh, to me, that's a problem. But it seems that that Eretz Israel, the land in Eretz Israel, has to belong to a Jew so much so that if you own it, you can't give it up. You can't do business with the land of Eretz Israel. Uh, that's Rashi. Ela machmat dochak oni machuzato vilokula. He didn't sell everything. If you can, sell part of what you have. Don't sell the whole thing. Keep something. Because the keeping of the land at Eretz Yisrael is somehow defining. It's the way you are. You are an owner 
of land in Eretz Yisrael. Today, things are a little bit a little bit different because there are a lot of people who own land in Eretz Yisrael but don't live here. I don't think that was the idea. I'm not sure. I mean, I can't say. Can I say what the idea was? No. But this is what this is the problem that the psukim are talking about. Pasuk lametet, pasuk lametet. I'm sorry. You have to give him strength. The Rashi says, Don't let him, you see, he becomes economically problematic. He's not able, he's not able to support himself properly, properly. Right at the beginning, you know, buttress him, strengthen him. Give him, give him uh, help. Don't wait till he falls, till he goes into chapter 11 bankruptcy. Get him, fix him, help him before that happens. And then Rashi goes on and says, Right? You have, to, you have to strengthen him when he starts to weaken, when his arm starts to, to weaken. And then Rashi says, Lamaza you know, Rashi, Rashi sometimes thinks that, you know, you don't understand things. So he says, you know, sometimes you say things in a, in a kind of a parable. So people think they understand it. So here in this case, he says, uh, So Rashi says, imagine this donkey. And the donkey has a masoi, has this uh, great bundle of stuff on the donkey. Odeu so you see, the bundle is, is falling. It's starting to fall off the donkey. So as long as it's still on the donkey, one person can come along and give it a push and ride it, ride it. And that it wouldn't be falling anymore. He says, Tofes bo mamido, nafala arets. But if this all fell off the donkey and hit the ground, uh, then nafala uh, arets, uh, even five people can't pick it up and put it back on the put it back on the donkey. So so Rashi says Rashi always says, well, it's easier. It's easier to support somebody who's in difficulty rather than waiting until he gets into tremendous difficulty and then trying to to redeem him. That that's what that's what Rashi says. What? Since they're talking about karka here. And this already comes after Shemitah, but in Shemitah portion they also talk about land returning to the original owners. So, yeah. why would one need to be warned here that the relative has to redeem the land when eventually it's going to go back to the owners anyways? In 50 years, you mean? Right. So, but there's a lot of years before 50 years. Right. But still, is this connected in the function? I, I imagine that the idea is the same. The idea is the same. I mean, you could the, this these psukim are somehow connected to poverty, which has also wider ranging uh, uh, notions. Uh, now, but I just want to make sure we we know these psukim in Dvarim. You see the Dvarim Perik Tezvav, Efes Kiloye Bechayim Yom, Efes, Efes in the Torah means like, however. However, lo ye evyon, there won't be any poor people. 
כי ברך יברך לך השם בארץ אשר השם אלוקיך נותן לך, נותן לך נחלה לרשתה. So, so the Torah seems to imply that there's a bracha that comes into the world from HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Eretz Yisrael, right, which has to do with the Nachala. When did the Jews get the Nachala? They got the Jews, they got the Nachala from Yoshua bin Nun. After Kibush, after Kibush, seven years and another seven years, so it took 21 years to get to Shemitah. Right after they came into Eretz Israel, but Yoshua divided up the land in Eretz Kedah. Every mishpacha received a certain amount of land. Every mishpacha. And that was done with a goral, with a hagralah. And you know that one of the meanings of goral, one of the meanings of goral means it's, it's somehow divinely oriented. That's what it means. I'm not defending it or... Uh, I'm just saying that in the Torah, when you think of a Gorah, you think, why did Haman, why did Haman throw a Gorah? Why, why didn't he just throw a dart at the calendar and whatever came out, came out? Because Haman wanted to get the best day for destroying the Jewish people. So I, I, like, I don't know what the best day in Haman's mind was, but I imagine he thought that if he could, you know, do, he peeled poor, that he would be kind of getting support from, from the gods. That's what he wanted. He wanted to say, I mean, he, you know, it's, it's one thing to fight a war and win, and it's another thing to win without fighting. So that's what Haman wanted. He wanted to, you know, to have all the gods on his side. That's, that's the goral. So the achuzah in Eretz Yisrael was also the result of a goral. It was kind of divinely oriented. This connection and this pasuk, this pasuk says lo yebecha evyon. Efes ki lo yebecha evyon. There won't be any poor people, and that's a bracha ki barech yevarech lecha. Hashem ba'aretz Hashem Hashem lekav tein lecha nachalah lerishda. Because the nachalah, after all, comes from God. So how could you ever be in a position where you'd have to give up your nachalah? Like the pasukim that we just read in Bahar. The positive Bahar says, if you're poor, you can't eat. So of course you're going to sell something that you own. Rashi says, don't sell everything. But you're going to sell things that you own. You're going to, uh, but the positive says, Lo there won't be a poor person who will have to sell his nachalah, his achuzah, because you received it as a... And then the next pasuk, not the next, but several pasukim later, it says, Ki If there is an avyon, even though God has just promised that there won't be an avyon. And then the pasuk itself says, If there is an avyon, Sha'arecha, Sha'ar is the gate to the city. Where, you know, a lot of, all the important things took place at the Sha'ar. The Beit Din was at the Shah, the Rabbadim, the Dayadim, they were all sitting around uh, and, and that was their offices. Their offices were at the, at the Shah, Recha Bar Tzicha. Asher Hashem Lokech Dotein Lach, again, Asher Hashem Lokech Dotein Lach, Lach is singular. Singular means each and every one of you gets Eretz Yisrael. It's not a collective ownership. It Maybe it is a collective ownership, but it's also a 
private ownership, a personal ownership, each one of, of you, Lota Metzed Levavcha, Lota Metzed Levavcha, don't become uh, unpleasant, don't harden your heart, don't look away at the poor piece of Lotik Potzed Yetcha, don't keep your hand, your fist closed when you see the poor. I mean, help him out. Give him what he needs. Now this is really devastating. I think a devastating pasuk. It says lo I mean, I mean, okay, up to now, up to now, it could happen. It could be. There's a bracha that might prevent there being an evyon. But what's the point of this pasuk? Oshakein, Oshalom, either there'll be an Evyon, there won't be an Evyon. Along comes the Torah. The Torah says something quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. Kilo Yechdal Evyon Mikerefa Aretz. There'll always be an Evyon. And you'll always have this responsibility. You know, this is like a general, uh, a, a general question. Do you have things in the Torah that kind of peter out? You know, they were true for a time. So the, the Ramban says, as an introduction to the book of Bamidbar, the Rashbam says, look, there are things in the book of Bamidbar that were for its time. They're not for continuing time. Even though we think about mitzvot in the Torah, we think of mitzvot as being forever. That's what a mitzvah is. It's always, so he said, what about the Beit HaMikdash? Okay, somehow that's also forever. I mean, you'll figure it out. You make it forever. Either that we'll rebuild the Beit Hamikdash, or we'll turn the the Beit Hamikdash into into Torah learning, into Tefillah. We'll, we'll do something. We'll do something. We'll make it. We'll make it work. But there are things that are mitzvot. There are things that are mitzvot that are lishaatam only for that time in the desert. Like there was this attack of snakes. Remember, right in the Nechashim. So God told Moshe Rabbeinu. You make a copper snake, you take this copper and you draw a snake on it and you walk around and that'll solve the problems. The Ramban said that mitzvah was a mitzvah l'sha'ata. It doesn't exist for us. We don't have to make a snake. We don't have to put it on a copper, on a copper background. Uh, there's no nechash nechoshet in our, in our world. But it is in the Torah. So the, the Ramban says... Look, there are mitzvot in the Torah that are for its time and not for any time subsequent. Subsequently, even though, even though we would like the Torah to be meaningful. Right? That's what Rashi taught us. Right? So it's that the psukim in the Torah are meaningful for us today. They're meaningful for us. So we would like the nechash nechoshin to be meaningful. So there's some people who are good at that. You know, making things, making things meaningful. But I'm saying it's a, it's a, a, a theoretical underpinning of our learning. That when we learn a pasuk in the Chumash, we would like it, we like it to be relevant. That's what, you know, that's sort of an assumption of, of the way we learn. But here we have this pasuk. I don't know what it means. Therefore, I am giving you this ongoing forever mitzvah. Open up your hand. 
Ba'atzecha. Ani, ani, the poor, evyon, the, the distraught, the, you know, those who are really in, in bad shape, not only, not only aniyim. So, in, in any event, I remind you, there's a source that I, that I tell you that is not on the, on the sheet. It's my fault. I, I just forgot to, to put, write it down. But it's in the Rambam. It's in the Rambam, Ilchot Tshuva, Perik Vav Halachahe. Now the Rambam tried to deal with this problem of free will versus divine knowledge, right? If God knows what's going to happen, how can you say that we have free will? Right? This is like uh, everybody knows. Everybody knows that problem. So some people try to answer it, and some people say, look, every religion has a mystery. So that, let that be the mystery uh, for, for Judaism, that even though God knows what's going to happen, you have free will anyway. And, you know, each of you can choose your path in this, in this problem. The Rambam, the Rambam said that this is a problem that you can't really solve. And we, we don't have the, uh, the wherewithal, the ability. You can expand upon it. You know, there's a problem of what time is, what could time, passing time mean for God. It could be there's only a summary of everything in, in heaven. You know, it's like, we know how it works out, but God knows how it works out, but that doesn't mean God's involved in the process. I, you know, you say whatever you say. You say whatever you say. I'm, uh, whatever you think is right makes me happy. But look at the Ram, this Rambam says this says this, to read the whole thing. He says, every person, every person who is drawn, nimshach, bidarchea chokhmah v'atzedek, he's drawn to wisdom and righteousness. He, he desires them and he, he runs after them. And that's what our rabbanim, zichronom levracha, meant when they say, Somebody who comes to purify himself, who wants to be pure, uh, they, uh, heaven helps him. Heaven helps him. You desire it and God helps him. And, and uh, that is to say, he will find himself helped by this, by the fact that he wants to be pure. He says, after all, it says in the Torah, Right, that God says to Avram Avinu about the stay of Bnei Yisrael in Mitzrayim. And it says, Avadum v'inu otam, that they will make them slaves, and inu otam, and they will torture them. Harei, Harei, the Rambam says, he commanded the Egyptians to do terrible things. It's, God says, to Avram Avinu, right? Remember, Avram is before Yaakov, before Yosef, before Moshe. So Avram, God said to Avram, they will torture you and make you miserable. They, the Egyptians, when you're enslaved, will torture you, right? And then, Haregazar, Alha Mitzrim Lasodra, he says, he says, why should the Egyptians be punished? But what they did in Egypt, after all, God made them do it. It's like they were the agents. They were the agents of God. They never heard why. Why should they? 
Why should the Babylonians be punished for the Churban Bayadrishon? Why should the Romans be punished for Churban Bayadrishon? After all, they were carrying out the divine will. They weren't doing it on their own. If God didn't want them to destroy the Beit HaMikdash, they never could have done it. So, this is what he says. And then uh, there's a pasuk at the end of Dvarim. And the pasuk says, This is what Moshe Rabbeinu says. The people in Eretz Yisrael, the Jews who come to Eretz Yisrael, become, they will assert themselves, and they will follow the Zanach They would go after, they would become idolaters. So, so the Rabbah says, so the Pesach says that they're going to become idolaters. So why are they punished? Why are they going to be punished for being idolatrous? Why is there a Chorban Bayit Rishon and then a Chorban Bayit Shedi? Because they, it, was, it was a divine fiat that this should happen. So if that's what God said, so why should they, why should they be punished? That's what he says, the Rabbah says. Why did God punish the Jews for doing what God said they were going to do? That doesn't make any sense according to the Rambam. Or at least there's a question. There is a question. And so the Rambam has this sort of tenuous answer. You could like it, you could leave it. It's your, your business. But this is his answer. He says, God never said that each individual Jew has to become an idolater. He did not, that was not the command. But each and every Jew in Eretz Yikanan at that time, right, will not serve idolatrous, will not become an idolater if he really doesn't want to. Right? And, and, and the Torah just tells us the way of the world. The way of the world is that you're influenced by the stronger culture, by the, the people who are, uh, you know, have sit in, in couches, that's the people who sit on plastic kettle chairs. So you'll be influenced by all of them. So that's what the Torah says. The Torah says when you come to Eretz Israel, you'll probably end up being idolatrous. So that was the Torah acting as a sociolog- sociologist. Right? This is what happens. This is what happens to people. But that doesn't mean that any individual, any individual has been uh, 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 denied his free will. He can still have the free will not to, uh, not to do it. And then he says, the Rambam says, right? Remember this is chapter 6, Aloha Hey. The Rambam says, Ha Lema, you know when we learned Hilchas Chuba during Elul, we never get this far. <laughs> <laughs> never. So it's not one year you have to learn it backwards. Starting from chapter 10 and go back, you still might not get to chapter, chapter 6. Any, in any event, hey Lema the Rabbam says, I'm, I'm gonna, just like Rashi said, I'm going to make this easier for you to understand. It's, I, gonna, it's comparable to something else that we all know about it. What is that? Lomer, ha'am sadikim Right? It's like it's like the Torah says. 
This nation will have righteous people in it and wicked people in it. Lobib they said, Yomar Harasha, Kvar but the Rasha, you can't say that I'm a Rasha because it's part of the part of the edict, because God made us, made me into a Rasha. So it doesn't work for the individual. The individual can't claim that his wickedness, he's a wicked person, his wickedness is the result of God's making him a wicked. It was God is the, the average. The Torah tells us that people are like that. But the individual can't claim that he is, that he is uh, in that way. Right? Achshav. You got it? Shayu Rishayim Yisrael. This is again similar to something else in the Torah. Our Pasuk, the Pasuk that we're learning, that the Torah says there'll always be impoverished people in the land. Right? All these Egyptians who did bad things to Israel, if they did not wish to do those bad things, they would be able to do so. So what is this it's interpretation? So what does it mean? Why If the people would get together and act the way the Torah wants them to act, there would be Yechdal they are. But because the Torah says that collectively there'll always be people who are not true to the Torah ideals, don't want to act as the Torah wishes them to act, so there'll always be Evyon. It's not because God promises that there'll be an Evyon. It's rather because, it's rather because an Evyon, Evyon will always be in the land because the people will never be able to get it together enough to solve this problem. That's what the Torah says. However, when it comes to a particular avion and a particular charity uh, issue, everybody can participate. Everybody can participate in that, you know, in that uh, charity. So that's the Rambam. That's the Rambam's idea of solving the problem of avion, avion ba'aretz. So I want to tell you another way. Another way of solving the problem, and that's at the bottom of the page, uh, Rav Nosson. Rav Nosson, right, Rav Nachman of Braslav's uh, Talmud, who wrote most of the things that Rav Nachman wrote, except for the, the Sefer Hamidot. There's a book called Sefer Hamidot, which is a collection of alphabetically arranged aphorisms. It's not without interest, but he started writing it apparently when he was a wee lad, like less than 12. Not all of it. It was as two parts. The book has two parts. There's the part he wrote when he was a kid, and the part he wrote later on when he was a little more grown up. So the part that he wrote, Sefer, it's called Sefer Amidot. That, that part that he wrote when he was a kid, it was before he was a Rebbe. And so Rav Nosson was not a Talmud of his. He wasn't there. So just you have... Uh, you have so this is Rav Nosson. Rav Nosson, remember I told you the story? The story about Pesach and Shavuos. 
Rav Nosson came to the to Rav Nachman, remember, and he said, "I want to say a Torah. I also, want, you know, I could do it." And at the end, he wrote this book, the Likute Halachot, which is published in ten volumes. So I guess he could do it. It was also a very interesting idea that he would sort of try to integrate Rav Nachman's ideas in the Shulchan Aruch, so that the, the book it goes according to the topics of the Shulchan Aruch. Right? Interesting. I mean, it's interesting. So Rav Nosson, of course, he wouldn't write anything on his own because he was the Talmud of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe, whatever the Rebbe said, he wrote down. That was his, his job, right? So he went to, to Rav Nachman, Erev Pesach, he said, he went to Rav Nachman, Erev Pesach, he said to him, I think I could, write, I could write my own Torah, but would you give me permission to write a Torah? So Rav Nachman said, yes, okay, you can write a Torah, but before you do that, I want you to review all the Torah. I want you to review the, the Shas, Bavli, Yerushalmi, the Mishnah, the, all the books of Kabbalah that we learned together. And so Rav Nelson said, so I did that. And Arab Shavuos, I went back to the Rebbe and I said, I did it. And he said, okay, you could write a Torah. That means that Rav Nelson reviewed Kol HaTorah Kula, between Pesach and Shavuos, right? That was his, that was the story. So, I get, you know, that they say, the only way that you can learn Dafyomi, I say, the only way you can learn Dafyomi is if you know Dafyomi. If you don't know the Dafyomi, it's hopeless. Hopeless enterprise. <laughs> so, no? You don't get it? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, so, so they ask it says, it says in one of those books that Rav Kook when he was in Volozhin Rav Kook was in Volozhin for a year more or less so he had a seder of Bikiyut he had a seder of Bikiyut he used to learn Gemara Chazer they used to say Chazer the Gemara Bikiyut so he learned 50, 60 daf a day that's the story. 60 dollars a day. It's, I mean, it's probably true. They didn't say that about me. So they said that about her, cook 60 dollars a day. So they said, somebody said to me, how can you do that? How can you learn 60 dollars a day? I said, if you don't know it, it's impossible. But if you know it very well, it's a cinch. You know, that's the difference. So Rav Cook wasn't learning 60 dollars a day. He was like going through it like a computer, you know, like he just zipped through the whole thing because he knew it. He had learned it all. So that's the, that's the difference. That's the difference that's noteworthy. So here we are. Rav Nosson. Look at Rav Nosson. This is what he says. That's our pasuk in Bahar. That's the pasuk in Bahar. Kimosha Pirish Rashi Sham. Don't let him fall. Hold on to him. He shouldn't fall entirely, right? Remember the, 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 the weight that's on the donkey? As long as you grab it quickly, you can push it back up. But if it falls, you might need five people to pick it up again. So, so in Kabbalah, in Kabbalah, they make distinctions between the various parts 
of the body. And so the kaved, what's a kaved? Yeah, so the kaved is a very important organ. It's seen as the seat of the, phys- of the body's physicality. The moach, the mind, is seen as the, the seat of uh, spirituality, intelligence, right? All those, those kinds of things. So he says, aniyut, he says, aniyut, poverty. What is poverty? He says, what does poverty mean? What does poverty mean? What is, is, what, how would you describe an impoverished person? How do you describe an impoverished person? An impoverished person is a person who thinks about his next meal all the time. That's what he thinks about. He's not able to break himself away from thinking about his physical needs because he doesn't have a way of solving that problem. So he's stuck there. So he says, Hitgabruta kaved al And so the kaved in you, right, which represents the physical needs, is something that overwhelms your spiritual side. Of the Moab. Somebody who becomes poor, which is similar to the liver becoming primary. So you see that poverty is again, goes against any kind of spiritual functioning that a person might have, right? Aniyut doesn't allow you to develop your spiritual side. Aniyut comes and like, like just sits on you all the time. You're always worried about how you're going to do it and how you're going to make it, how you're going to get to, to wherever it is you think you have to get to. He says, Aniyut maviro dat no. It pushes him away from the dot from the, well, it's also a Kabbalistic word, but it's a Hebrew word as well. The, the understanding given to him by the Creator. Because his dad, his mind, is not functioning properly. Because the kaved, the physicality of him, overwhelms his ability. So if he's hungry and he doesn't have anything to eat, but he also doesn't know where the next meal that he didn't have is, is going to come from. So he obviously can't think too much about his relationship to God. And that's not aniyut. Achizat ha-kaved. Achizat ha-kaved. This is the kaved grabbing onto you. Vekol ma mitgaber yoter ha-aniyut nechlash ha-dat pa'am yoter. And the more you are in a state of aniyut, nechlash hadad v'kol pa'am yoter. Your understanding gets weaker and weaker. You become, well, I don't want to bring too many examples, but you can imagine yourself, you could become more like an animal. Like if you think that animals are primarily all concerned about the next meal, and that's how they are, they are, uh, the computer that runs them it works, right? They, 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 get, they have to get the next meal. Their food 
is very important to them. Kemokein mitgaber chas v'shalom ha-koved yoter u-machmatzeh ha-nihu b'ka'as tamid. He says what happens is that that physical person, that person who is involved in physicality and his own physical needs, becomes angry. Ki ha-kas hu b'chinat kaved ko'es. This is also an idea in the, in the Kabbalah. Kaved ko'es, liver anger. That there's a relationship, right? Because you know, you know, people they have problems with their liver in certain situations. This is an aspect of poverty. So poverty, according to Rav Nos, based on various Kabbalistic sources that he doesn't quote, but poverty is not about an inequity in. Uh, in your uh, monetary situation, right? in, in how much land you're able to, to have. But poverty is, is a readjustment in your, in your spiritual design. You are able to be spiritual, but poverty knocks that, knocks that out of you. He says, Shehu b'chinat aniyut machmat zeh. The Gemara says this, Batar aniyah, Aniyuta azil, that the, that poverty goes after the impoverished. Right? You know they say today, you know, like, you know people who grow up in impoverished neighborhoods or those, you know, they produce the same kind of people. They produce people. So this is the Gemara says the Gemara Baba Kama. The Gemara says the bossar aniya aniyusa azil. After the poor, poverty goes. Right, they just—it's like so self, self-defining. Al kain, zeshem rachem al hani, umashpiel lo panasa, umichayen nafshom amash. So somebody who gives life to the impoverished, who gives him an opportunity to change the way he's thinking about things, who returns him to this level of of spiritual concern, he says mechayen nafshom amash. It's like you give him a new life. You, you're changing him around. You could, you could save the impoverished from poverty. Because poverty now doesn't just mean he doesn't have money. It means his, his involvement is with his physical side. You could save him from that. And you could bring him back to a more spiritual understanding of things. So he says... Uh, so your mind somehow overwhelms the, the liver. And as the dat gets stronger and stronger, the kaveid, the liver of you, becomes weaker and gives in. And that's how you get rid of aniyut. You get rid of it. There's no poverty. Because poverty doesn't really have so much to do with money. Doesn't have so much to do with money. There are stories, you know, the Ketzot HaChoshen, the Ketzot. The Ketzot wrote a commentary on Choshen Mishpat, on that part of the Shulchan Aruch called Choshen Mishpat, which was a breakthrough. It was like a conceptual breakthrough, as people would like to say. It was something really remarkable. 
What, was, what, what else was remarkable? That he could not afford to heat his house. And he wrote the, the, the uh, commentary, which is called Kitsota Choshen, in bed under a blanket. That's how he lived his life, in a, in a bed. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, east of the Danube, then you know it's pretty cold in the winter. And uh, I mean, it's so cold in the winter. Coming from America, you can't even imagine it. That heat is not optional. <laughs> they just blast in the heat, you know, from uh, whatever they decide from the end of May, from the end of uh, uh, I don't know August, whatever, whatever. You get heat. You like it. You get it. You don't like it. You get it anyway, because that's how it is. I mean, it's going to be terrible if you don't if you don't have the heat. So the Tzotzakoshin lived under, under a blanket, writing, writing his commentary. So I don't think he was thinking about the next meal, even though he might have been considered impoverished. And everybody knows stories like that. You know, there are, the magazines are full of those kinds of stories. Of people, of people who kind of overcome. Who overcome, but they don't really overcome. What they do is they have something else to do. They have something else that they can involve themselves with, so that even, the poverty doesn't uh, doesn't get them, doesn't deny them, you know, a kind of spiritual alternative. But here, what the what the Rav Nachman is saying is that you can give people that spiritual alternative by by giving tzedakah. Because if you help him and you give him the money that he needs and you. You broaden his understanding, and so the liver of you will give in. And as the the kaved uh, gives in more and more, the the spiritual of you opens up more and more. So you can do away with it. So what, what was the trick of Rav Nossel? What was the trick of Rav Nossel? How does he explain the Pasuk? I explained that Pasuk. See, he sees it as part of the ongoing struggle. Right? There's a struggle between Tov and Ra. That's something that, that's inbred with it. That's the way he sees the world. Not only him, many, many Jews have, uh, since the beginning of, of writing, of Jewish writing, let's say the time of the Chorban, uh, Chorban uh, Bayit Sheni, yeah, that, that, that there is this kind of, you have to deal with yourself. Psychologically, <coughs> the, the Jews were very much in tune with the idea that people had to make choices. They had to determine how they would be. They, they, it wasn't enough that they knew that some things were told and some things were rah. That the Torah tells us. There are mitzvot, that's good. And then there are, are transgressions, that's rah. But that doesn't do it. That doesn't, it's not the knowledge that does it because there are also desires that we have that we can't always control in a proper manner. So we end up, we end up with these questions like, how come? How come I did the wrong thing? I didn't want to do the wrong thing. So Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman says that, the, that each person, Rav Nachman, 
Agnostic says that each person can resolve within himself, right, the, the proper balance of kaved and moach, of the liver and the mind. And uh, if you do it, if you work at it, you're able actually to destroy the desire, the desire that you, that you have. So it works, it works both ways. The, the ktsos, uh, he was happy because he was learning Torah, at a very high level. They learn Torah at a high level. And then, the, you know, the Rashash, Rav Shul Strashen, was very rich. He lived in Vilna and he was very rich. But he, the rich didn't mean anything. All, all he did with his rich was he bought Svarim. And he wrote commentaries on every Masechet of Shas. On every Masechet of Shas. And that, that's what he did. So, it was, you know, you conquer, you conquer it in both directions. Right? It's not only poverty that destroys you, but sometimes it's wealth that, uh, that destroys you. The, everybody agrees. Everybody understands you have wealth. You have to take care of it. Right? You know, it's like a potted plant. If you don't talk to it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. So wealth is the same. If you don't take care of the wealth, you'll find it disappears. So that becomes a job. That be, I'm not talking about having wealth. I'm talking about taking care of it. So the Rashash Rashash said, I don't want, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just learning. I'm just learning. So you see that the Ketsos is an example of a person who was not daunted. The Ketsos was not daunted by the fact that he was poor. And the Rashash was not daunted by the fact that he was rich. And so that's what a Nevion is. A Nevion is a person who has the wrong balance. Has the wrong balance and is not able to live up to live up to the level of moach, of moach. We didn't learn the Ramban, but we'll try it again when we get to Parsha Shoftim. Okay, have a happy Lagba Omer.